Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. So thanks for joining me on this very special episode for STEMI Vibrations, a day to celebrate autistic voices. This day has been years in the making, as I've seen every April. It's such a difficult month month for autistics. It ends up being a month in which organizations use this time to share information and fundraise without autistics' best interest at heart. When I say without autistics' best interest at heart, I mean really not Get not giving much thought at all what autistics think or feel in regards to what they're doing as an organization. So how do you know this, Doug? Well, I think there's, you know, a few things that, or a few questions that lead me to these types of conclusions. How many autistics did these organizations consult on their fundraising projects? How many autistics were paid to organize and plan these projects? How many autistic social media accounts were these organizations paying attention to? The answer probably is close to zero for for all of these questions, because if organizations were actually listening and respecting autistic voices, the events and fundraisers that were put on either wouldn't have happened at all or would have looked a lot differently. These events would be much more focused on principles of universal design in which creating an event that supports the needs of autistics only enhances the event because these are things that only benefit anyone that would attend the event. You know, last April I was particularly frustrated about all of this and I decided then I wanted to try to do something to at least make this April just a little bit better of an experience for the autistic community. So I started thinking, what the heck could I do? I knew then, and even more so now, the importance of autistic voices based on each episode of autism stories that occurs. You know, it goes deeper than that as I, beyond autism stories, I get to co-host the InfoDump Files with Becca Laurie Hector and co-host Intersections on the Spectrum with Kelly Braun Johnson, in which we have the opportunity to interview autistics about their experiences. So through all through autism stories, the infodump files, and intersections on the sec, intersections on the spectrum, I have definitely fallen in love with being a podcaster. And that's led me to listening to many other podcasts hosted by many other autistics that um, that are a part of this day. 
and how much I also thoroughly enjoyed those podcasts. So it got me to thinking, what if there was a day for autistic podcasters to unite? A day to share their experiences and interview other autistics. This was an idea that I was excited about the more I thought about it. And what if we had a day like this in April? Could this be helpful to the autistic community in navigating um, this very challenging month of April? I didn't know the answer to that, and I still don't. But when I do have an idea that just the thought of it brings me joy, I must pursue it with everything I am. And whatever the results are, I can live with, with that. I just can't live with not pursuing something I'm passionate about. So... When thinking about this idea for semi vibrations, uh, few, I, I, you know, started out like I do with a lot of my ideas. Just reach out to a few people in my inner circle, um, and I believe my, you know, my partner, my wife, who said um, thought it was a great idea, and we should have a T-shirt as part of the event. And I said, and I, I thought, why not? Um, and then thought, what if in the spirit of the day, 100% of the profits from the t-shirt go directly to autistics, autistic-run organizations? Fundraising in April that actually helps the, directly the autistic community. So often, black, indigenous, and autistic people of color are left out of the conversation and out of fundraising, so the majority of these profits and the majority of these profits. And I didn't want that to happen with this event. So most likely all of the money raised from anyone that purchases a t-shirt will be given directly to the Autistic People of Color Fund. And according to their website, the Fund for Community Reparations for Autistic People of Color's Interdependence, Survival, and Empowerment exists to provide direct support, mutual aid, and reparations by and for autistic people of color. That's something I can definitely get behind and feel good about being part of this day. Another idea that really evolved based on the spirit of the day is the idea of incorporating a chat for all of you, the listeners. I ultimately hope that this is a day for autistics where you feel heard, seen, and this is at least one day this month you can feel like there truly is autism acceptance. I also hope this is a day for allies of autistics to really embrace listening and connecting with autistic voices. I hope this is a day for all of you to find community by not just listening, but using the chat to share your thoughts on what you're listening to and connect with others without having the demands of spoken communication. Then after thinking about the chat, I started thinking about what would be the autism stories uh, episode for this event, because I couldn't have stimmy vibrations without 
Autism Stories being one of the podcasts that are, that are featured. I thought about how could I make this episode of Autism Stories unique for the event um, in some way, which brought me back to my love of podcasts and how that love has given me new ideas and new dreams and how I would like to one day maybe host a talk show that exclusively featured autistic guests. Guests that I interview, guests that do comedy, and guests that perform their, their music. So that's sort of what I'm going to do today. I'm going to start out with the traditional Autism Stories interview in which I interview my executive assistant, Christiana Koch, about helping me organize STEMI Vibrations, this day to celebrate autistic voices, and then that's going to be followed by some comedy from Joe Wells. And then a music of one of the previous guests on Autism Stories, Gabrielle Hellstone. I hope that this bit of a different format for Autism Stories is something that all of you enjoy. So I, so I often say it's not about me. Um, it's about we. So I would be remiss if I didn't thank everyone to make this day possible because without their contributions this this event would just be an idea you know it starts with my inner circle who allowed me to bounce ideas off them for uh, for this event you know my assistant who you'll hear from in just a minute who worked really hard with me to make this a great experience for all of you you know, definitely Sally Wilbanks of ND Renegade, who's been a, a joy to work with in creating the t-shirt for this event. Definitely thank, so thankful to all the podcasters and their guests on this day who truly were so giving of their time. I can't thank each of them enough for their contributions to this day and all they do to support other autistic, neurodivergent, and disabled folks. Please support them and follow them on social media if you aren't already doing so. You know, these wonderful people include Nora Birch, Gabriel Hailstone, Becca Laurie Hector, Kelly Braun Johnson, Andrew Camaro, Bridget Rankowski, Eveline Welton, Jude Morrow, Nahir Farado, Maisie Sotentayo, Marenike Giwa Anawu, Joe Wells, The Existential Artist, Caleb Luna, Deshaun Harrison, Marcusel Mercedes, Brian Guffey, Jordan Underwood, and Christiana Kosh. I hope I got every mentioned everyone. Um, if I if I forgot someone, I, I greatly apologize for that. Lastly, I, I just really want to thank all of you, the listeners, um, for being a part of this. You know, we're all unique in this world, but we're all in this together. Your, your presence and support of this day only confirms that more strongly for me than ever. So on to today's episode of Autism Stories, where I will interview Christiana Koch, then we will have the comedy of Joe Wells, and finish off with music of Gabrielle Hailstone. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Christiana, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Doug. Absolutely. 
wanted to start off and just kind of learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? So it's kind of a three-part journey, and I'm sure it's a journey for most people. It began when I was diagnosed or identified at eight years old. Um, as soon as the clinician walked into the office, she said she knew right away that I was autistic. At the time, it was Asperger's. But that guy ended up being pretty terrible, so we don't talk about him anymore. <laughs> and then from there, I kind of just went about my life for the most part until I was a teenager and all the normal teenager insecurities kind of set in and I kind of had a spiritual experience that encouraged me to keep going until I was able to learn about the neurodiversity movement. I was at a church summer camp and all my emotions like these negative emotions about feeling like not good enough and questions about my self-worth because of the fact that I was identified to be autistic, um, I kind of just felt in my core that there was this little, still small voice just saying not to give up and to keep going and that I am who I am and that's not broken or deficient in some way. And so kind of drawing from the first King chapter 19, that part about hearing that still small voice that kind of aligned with the experience I had. And so that encouraged me to just keep going. And I graduated high school and I went on to college. And then 2016 was kind of a emotional reckoning for me, if you will, kind of an emotional breaking point when I realized and saw the instances where people with disabilities were not being treated equitably. So there was the whole situation with Charles Kinsey and Arnaldo Rio Soto. And then there was also the massacre of disabled people in Japan a day before my 21st birthday. And I just, at that point, I just knew that I had to do something. And I knew that doing what I could to be an advocate in some way was a path for me, even though these really horrible things happened, you know, in the spirit of the disability day of mourning, you mourn for the dead, but fight like hell for the living. And I just really felt called and led to embody that in my life. So that is my three-part saga. Now, you recently wrote a wonderful article on the uh, Different Brains website about your journey away from STEM. And it sounded like that journey started as it was important for you to be thought of as the smart girl. What was the importance of being thought of as the smart girl for you and maybe for other autistic girls out there as well? Yes. realization that we're taught to try to be kind of put on this like perfect persona 
and that can apply to our academics. And been seeing and hearing a lot about how because we raise our girls to be perfectionists in academics, that they're not able to have the courage to take risks and fail as much as their male counterparts. Forgive me if I mess up the name, but Reshma Sajani, I believe, did an excellent TED Talk where she says that girls are taught to, quote, avoid risk and failure. But she says that by the time the boys become men, they're so acquainted with the process of trying that it doesn't hold them back to fail, whereas women have to uphold this so-called perfect persona. And I feel like in addition to this kind of, these kind of sexist expectations, we've also added on a layer of ableism for autistic girls and autistic women. Because for me personally, I felt like showing my academic prowess will offset my lack of neurotypical social skill. And it was a quote-unquote objective way for me to show my work to the other kids. So it didn't matter if they liked me or not, which I have been pretty lucky and I have had some good friends over the years, but it was always like a fallback plan for me. It was this like safety net that even if my social life was crumbling and I couldn't walk that tightrope, then there was a safety net of my grades and my quote-unquote intelligence to make up for anything that I felt I lacked socially at the time. And uh, how can people read your article, take your pick, and Autistic's journey away from STEM? Yeah, they can read the full story at um, Different Brains. Dot com. It is on their blog. I also shared it on my personal LinkedIn profile. And it has a happier ending once I'm able to learn about neurodiversity and kind of dissect these concepts. But yeah. So in the article, you talked about moving away from STEM as a field of study during college as you realized this wasn't the best fit for you. Thinking about autistic girls who are about to start college and thinking about what major to choose, what suggestion do you have for them in making this decision? Yes, so I've thought quite a bit about that. And I think one of the main things is that you're not a quitter if you happen to find a different path that you like more it doesn't mean that you don't love what you initially were choosing to major in or choosing to pursue but sometimes life kind of surprises you and you find something else that you happen to love even more and it doesn't mean that you're a quitter or a failure if you switch from a stem major or if you quote-unquote drop out of a STEM major, as they like to say. And then the second thing that I learned when I was interviewing some of my peers, I fortunately got to interview people from the LGBTQ plus community that were autistic, as well as 
autistic people of color that actually had parents who were immigrants to the U.S. And so what my participants were saying is that there is kind of this stigma around liberal art majors, not just for autistics, but just in general. People say, you know, oh, if you major in liberal arts, you're not going to make money. <laughs> you're going to be working at McDonald's and, you know, all these really kind of dismal outcomes. So I'd say that if you fall in love with something in the fine arts or liberal arts, don't be afraid to try to look ahead at, you don't have to choose your one and done career path, but just knowing that there are career paths that tie into those majors, that can be really helpful when you're talking to your parents or other trusted adults or advisors that are helping you make these big decisions. We have people in your life like that and you're going to be okay. Things tend to have a way of working out even if you get your degree in something that's not particularly lucrative. You know, if you are able to find a way to provide for yourself financially, then that's usually all people that care about us want at the end of the day. So, now, after you graduated, you were looking into graduate school and took the GRE. And, um, yeah, we, leading up to the test, you shared with me uh, about this process, and I was not too happy about it because it was not the most accommodating process towards you. What accommodations were you needing that the GRE denied you? So the GRE has a bit of a really strange system, even though your autism might be identified and diagnosed in childhood, the GRE wants you to have had an evaluation, like basically through the diagnosis process again, because it has to be through a psychologist who specializes in that field. It can't just be your general practitioner. The GRE requires that diagnosis to be done or redone within five years of taking the exam which is pretty unfair, I'd say, for students like me who were fortunate in the sense that we did get identified earlier on in life. And it's also really unfair that we're paying for all this testing and studying materials for a really expensive test that doesn't tend to prove much anyway. And then you have to spend an extra $1,000 or so for a diagnosis, it's just silly. Can't the GRE provide this service for us if it's really supposed to be fair and accommodating? I think that while standardized testing is falling out of style, kind of, which I think there's many reasons why, I do think that if the GRE were to continue to be a thing, it should drop the five-year requirement Unless it wants to pay me a thousand dollars, I will take that and use that for a diagnosis again, just to say so. But yeah, it's definitely an extra economic barrier to students that could prevent them from getting into a grad program that they deserve to be in. I think anything that is involved with the word standardized 
is problematic to me because I very much believe in individualized. <laughs> so just starting out with that word, I'm like, uh, I don't know about this process. Yeah, it was a four-hour test. It was incredibly grueling, and I did not get my accommodations, even though I provided my academic records from college and everything. I just had to take the test and see what happens, and I was able to guess okay to where my scores are tolerable for programs. But, yeah, I hope that more schools will continue to drop the requirement of the GRE. Now, present day, I get the privilege to communicate with you multiple times a week as you do a wonderful job as my executive assistant. But why the heck would you want to do that? <laughs> this question is hilarious because why the heck would you hire someone with no experience as an assistant, let alone an executive assistant? <laughs> well, well, maybe so the you... real question is, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, that, that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. But maybe tell people a little bit about how, how this kind of process came about. Where Yeah, the backstory. I think that between my time in academics and always trying these really complicated classes and kind of feeling it way over my head, I just kind of got used to not always knowing what I was doing, much to my chagrin, because if there's one thing I love, it's doing what I'm doing. Because again, back to the perfectionism thing, you just love knowing what you're doing and that you're going to be good at it. And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. So from academics to employment, I found the transition to be kind of challenging and like job after job, it felt like, you know, I'd like make mistakes and do my best to learn and grow from that. And eventually I threw my name in the ring for a job as a receptionist at a company and I felt underqualified. I feel like I probably was, to be honest, but I still attempted it and learned a lot. And that ended up preparing me for this job where I also, I guess, initially felt underqualified, but I feel like we've really hit a good stride. So I guess if you want me to like tell the story of what was happening is I was actually a client. I was working with one of the wonderful coaches, Michaela, and I mentioned to her that Doug made a joke in one of his YouTube videos that he could use an assistant. And so I thought, hey, Michaela, if Doug ever did open up a position to hire for an assistant, I'd like to submit my resume. And she was like, okay, okay, let me let him know. I was like, no, you, you don't have to, you know, just let me know if there's a job opening and then I'll submit. No, she contacted you. And you were like, yeah, send me your resume. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what what door did I just open for myself? <laughs> but at the same time, I was also like, literally, what's the worst that could happen at this job that hasn't already happened? Like, there was very few options at that point. 
so I just figured my fear of failure was outweighed by the possibility of being able to help the autistic community even just a little bit by assisting you. And that's what went out at the end of the day and did the interview. Now I'm here and I work from home. That is your next question, I believe. And I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah. So I'm not going to reveal the method to my madness, but you definitely got a very strong recommendation from one of our coaches, Michaela Uman, um, who's been great with great coach for us for years. So that, that went a long way. So, um, you know, we live in different time zones. Um, you know, your role with Autism Personal Coach is 100% remote. So do you think that's been beneficial to you in ways, not only from a work perspective, but kind of maybe other areas of your life as well, just in, you know, in terms of like flow and boundaries? How is that kind of, has it been helpful to you? For sure. I think that there is always the potential pitfall when working from home of not setting clear defined hours. So if you can navigate around that pitfall, then you're in pretty good shape, I think. I do also feel like I have more social energy because I don't have to spend it navigating office politics. And most of my social energy kind of went to that. And this has really allowed me to focus on the people who are really important to me and my social circle. I feel like I also have energy to get out of the house and spend time with them. And because if I'm working from home, then it feels more exciting to go out than if I worked outside of the house. And of course, I feel like you're able to control the background noise a lot better. So if I need music in the background one day, that's great. And then I can turn it off the next day. No one's going to be like, why is the radio off? You're really able to control that aspect of your environment. Of course, the comfy clothes are a big plus for autistic people. And less time in the California traffic is always nice. I'm glad I don't have to spend an hour driving each way. And I have my furry emotional support cats, my indoor cat patches, and an outside cat white socks. She really likes it when I work from home because she gets to see me more than when I'm at a nine to five. It's really great that I get to spend time with family, friends, furry family, and all the above. Now, one of your responsibilities as my assistant is you edit all of the Autism Stories podcasts now. What have you learned from editing each of these episodes? I don't know about you, but I feel like I learned a new thing just about every episode. You are nodding in agreement. I really liked learning about, man, there's so much... I think that there's things about the autistic experience that I wanted to understand better. So hearing um, Christy Forbes talk about PDA and the PDA profile, or hearing non-speakers talk about apraxia, it gives me insights into the autistic experience that I, to my knowledge, don't experience personally. 
I also really like hearing about the education systems and having conversations around that. I really liked it when Cole was on and talked about where special education could become more inclusive, and especially in terms of how we're training people to be inclusive educators. And of course, what blew me away the most, I'd say, which I also discussed in the final part of my article was just the variety of jobs we can have. We've interviewed like truck drivers, wrestlers, <laughs> models, HR managers. It's really limitless the types of jobs that we've found ourselves in and I'm hopefully enjoy doing. And I'm really excited to just learn more about employment and what we can gather as overall themes or patterns about employment and learning more about what we can do to help ourselves find our niche and to I will definitely second the learning because you know prior to starting autism stories and just getting to talk with a lot of really great people I you know when I would go to autism you know conferences that you know the topics would be relating to autism I really felt like I was at a point that I just was not learning much anymore and I realized that the reason I wasn't learning as much anymore is because most of the times they were not autistic presenters so I was not learning about you know I always say at the beginning of each episode autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience so I feel like I get an opportunity once a week to learn from, from experts so yeah absolutely we'll second that on the, on the learning so speaking of podcasts you've been a crucial part behind the scenes of making this day Stimmy Vibrations a day to celebrate autistic voices happen I doubt this event would have happened without your help. In fact, no, doubt is not strong enough. This wouldn't have happened without your help. So I am, I am so grateful. We've been talking and working on every last detail of this event together for months now. Basically, lots and lots of executive functioning. If we do this event again, what do you think should we do to improve this process? That's a good question. We'll have to see how the day up goes. I think that will reveal a lot of insights into what we can do to make it even better. And I definitely do think we can do this again. And, of course, you are the one that came up with the idea. So, yes, I, I do think it took both of us to pull this off. Credit where credit is due. Don't try to get out of it. <laughs> I would... I guess love it if we could maybe do something live on the YouTube platform if possible. I wasn't quite sure how to do a YouTube live and show YouTube videos at the same time. But if someone like knows the technicality of that, that would be so great. I would love to know that. Because I think just having it up on YouTube is a pretty accessible platform. People like know about it. So I'm definitely open to exploring different platforms, seeing which ones might be a good fit. I'd love it if we could 
maybe keep expanding it for podcasts and having a few more, I guess, talents, you know, because we're having Gabrielle for music or Relly is the stage name. And I'd love it if we could have on a few more comedians or musicians or just to kind of, I guess, break up all the information just to keep the variety in there. And I think it'd also be fun to do an interview the day of in between the pre-recorded stuff, like to be able to schedule a time with like, we're going to have so many great interviews today, but let's take, for example, Maisie. And if she could, if we could like play her excellent 40 minute interview and then do like a 10 minute follow up with like one or two questions that we give her in advance. I think that'd be really engaging because if someone asks a great question in the chat, Maisie could respond directly to it. Yeah, there's, I'm excited to see where it can go. And what do you hope, uh, you know, the people that uh, listen into the podcast and participate in the chat take away from this day? I definitely think that it will help give us a sense of solidarity in a month where it's easy to feel alone and isolated. I hope that we're able to learn something new. I know that I always learn new things when I'm going through these podcasts and I hope other people get the same joy from learning something exciting. And just to remember that, like, just remembering that we are here. We are a community, and we're stronger as a community than we are as individuals. I think it's really helpful, and that helps me through um, a tough spot or two. And, you know, and I definitely agree that I hope Stimmy Vibrations uplifts the community, not on April 2nd, but hopefully throughout the month. Um, so, so whether it's with um, Stimmy Vibrations or with Autism Personal Coach or in other ways, what do you, what do you hope your future is in terms of, you know, ways to support and uplift the autistic community? to kind of similar to the whole college major debacle stay a little flexible with how this happens because there's so many different ways to promote inclusion of autistic people in different spheres of life currently i am taking prerequisite courses that i did not initially take for occupational therapy there's been some exciting changes in the field that are becoming more neurodiversity affirming. And I think it could be really exciting to be a part of that and to be a part of this movement in OT. But I still have to get through a few of the prerequisites, so we'll see how that goes. I know that there's a lot going on in terms of transition age and helping autistic teens and young adults kind of find their footing in a very scary and confusing time of life. And I'd love to be able to come alongside the next generation and support them and be someone that can say like, yeah, I've, I've kind of been there, you know, like this is kind of how we can help you find your way through these situations and, you know, achieve this and navigate 
higher education and the workforce, it's also confusing and overwhelming. So just having autistics be able to support and empower other autistics, I think is really important for all fields, especially IT. If for some reason that doesn't end up being my path, I'm still very interested in disability studies. I love the academic field. It's growing. It's so exciting. I try to keep up with the Society of Disability Studies and their academic journal. It's free online because scholarship should not be guarded behind a paywall or trapped in an ivory tower. Scholarship should be by the people for the people. And I do think disability studies does what it can to incorporate that. And so if I get to do a qualitative or mixed methods research or thesis about autism in kind of, again, the teen and young adult age, I would really love to see what patterns I find and what our experiences are and learn more about that for the sake of using research to reveal insights that we can use to support and, again, empower the autistic community. So whatever route I, it could be something completely different, who knows, but whatever route I end up stumbling into, I'm really excited for, and I know that no matter what, I love this community, and I know that I will do everything I can to continue to just love on the people of this community and be a part of this wonderful community. Well, whether it's with Autism Personal Coach or whatever route that you uh, take in the future, I know that you will have a, a very positive impact. So, Christiana, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Thanks so much to Christiana for the conversation. Next up, we have the first comedic performance ever on Autism Stories, which I'm excited about, from stand-up comedian Joe Wells. Joe first went viral in 2020 with a funny clip on YouTube about his non-autistic brother. You can learn more about Joe by visiting joewells.org. Hello, Steamy Vibrations. Thank you for having me. My name is Joe Wells. I am a comedian. I um, the, you may have seen I had, I had a video uh, go viral to a year and a bit ago now about having a not autistic brother. Um, so that that is the reason if why some people may uh, know who I am. Um, it was it was a weird thing. I never had a, a video go viral before. Had some uh, backlash from people saying that I shouldn't say that my brother is not autistic. That's not the correct term for not autistic people. You should say my brother is a person with an autism deficiency. That's what you meant to say. Um, I had this word, so with doing the stand up and talking about being autistic online, a lot of people don't believe that I'm really autistic because um, uh, they say you can't be autistic and do stand up comedy, which I think is a really weird take because what is stand-up comedy? It's just having a, a long one-way conversation covering all of your special interests. I think I think it's perfect for us. But anyway, here here we are. I, I am I'm Bus. I'm very grateful to um to you for for doing this, having me on. Um I was I, I I'm trying to think of I I often have like ideas for jokes that would only work for autistic people. Like for example I found out 
that um, in Covent Garden there is a theatre museum, called, it's called the Museum of Theatre, and I just wondered if you were a fan of that museum, you loved going to that museum, how would that affect your AQ score? That is uh, something that I've wondered, I've tried that that would not work as material in a comedy club, so you can have that. If you're a fan of the Theatre Museum in Covent Garden, how does it affect your AQ score? That is a very, very niche joke for autistic people. I, uh, okay, fortunately, I'll tell you a story. It's a story which I think um, sort of, uh, for me, describes a sort of neurodivergent way of thinking, which I think is, 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 um, is beautiful, and I think it, sh it shows the sort of how thinking differently can be beautiful. When I was about eight years old, we had an assembly at a school, and the assembly was this, that a local man owned a tortoise, and he brought the tortoise in to school. That happened in the 90s. They just let anyone come in and speak at primary schools. Um, and this, this guy comes in, he's got a pet tortoise. Um, we met a real-life tortoise, brilliant. Best assembly we had the whole time at school. We, we learned that they can live to over 100 years old. We learned about hibernation. Uh, we learned about what they eat. It was brilliant. At the end of the assembly, the man who owned the tortoise told us that she didn't have a name. Uh, she was almost 100 years old, this tortoise, but she'd never been given a name. And it was decided there and then that we'd have a competition in the school to name that tortoise. And the winner of that competition, that would become her tortoise name for the rest of her tortoise life. Um, so I was about eight years old, you know, I was a strange little autistic child. And I thought differently to the other children. They all gave sort of normal names to the tortoise, but I suggested that we name the tortoise Padnell Infant School, which was the name of the school that we all went to. My reasoning was this, I said if we name her Padnell Infant School, every time she hears her name, it'd be a lovely reminder of her day at Padnell Infant School. She hasn't had a particularly exciting life. She just lived in a box, in a box, in a man's house in a suburb of Portsmouth. But one day, she went to Padlet for school. Maybe the best day of that tortoise's life. Every time she has her name, lovely reminder of that day. Even on the last day when she's put down to hibernate for the last time, she knows that she may never wake up again from that cold winter. Her owner would say to her, good night, Padlet Infant School. She would hear her name and she'd remember that day meeting all the children at Padlet Infant School. And she'd go, oh yes, that was a... That was a good day, and uh, that would be her last thought on this earth. And I know that's a weird name for a tortoise. I was a weird child, but actually, when I look back on it now, and I think a lot of autistic adults will have this experience, I look back on me as a weird child, and I think, wasn't that cool that I was weird and different and thought differently to other children? I think that story really shows why it's important that we have uh, people with different brains that think differently and come up with unusual things like calling a tortoise Pat Lippman School. But uh, anyway, long story short, I came second to some prick who wrote Shelley. And I still think about Shelley every single day. I'm still angry about that great injustice. Um, thank you for having me at Stimmy Vibrations. Um, I've got a book out in May, it's called Why Differently, 30 Neurodivergent, who you should know. Um, ostensibly it's a young adult book, but there's nothing that they there's they can't stop you buying a young adult book if you are a, a an older adult. There's nothing they just buy it anyway. Um, so that will be out in May. Um, whenever I talk to other autistic people, I always tell them to read um, Polly Samuel. If you want her books, then then they're under the name Donna Williams. Um, but uh, read her work because it was brilliant, very important. Um, yes, that's that's it for me. Thank you for having me. Bye. uk. Now here is Joe Wells. Next up, we have some music for you. Two songs from the... The first song is Who Am I? Followed by Noise-Canceling Headphones. The first song makes me think, and then the next one, Noise-Canceling Headphones, makes me want to stim dance. I hope you enjoy 
both of these songs as much as I do. Now here's Relly. Hey guys, my name's Relly. I'm an actually autistic recording artist. I've prepared a little show for you today for autism acceptance, and I hope you enjoy it. Who am I to be 